man to beat isn't showing any signs of slowing down. And then goes Crosscourt, although he's produced a wonderful Crosscourt, has to run onto the volley, Nadal gets to it, goes down the line, and that is just Nadal at his brilliant, gutsy best. Sasha Zverev reaches his first Grand Slam quarter-final. Zverev serving and volleying, it's a hard volley pickup! Sensational! And he wags the finger and clenches the fist. And the Italians are causing quite a stir in Paris. And you would have been seemingly very safe in putting your house and all your worldly possessions on Goffin a short time ago to take this opening set. Forehand from Goffin is wide. Incredible. A remarkable renaissance from Marco Cecchinato. Fanini's defending well. That was an awkward defensive oh. lob. And Fanini keeps the point alive down the line. Now he's on the forehand at the net himself. Forehand volley winner from Fanini. Turning defence into attack in spectacular fashion. You are listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. It is lovely to be with you once again. We've completed the first week. We started on a Sunday. We're Sunday again. The position for us this evening, and you might hear the breeze in the microphone because we're sitting on Philippe Chatrier, the main court at Roland Garros. The court is now empty. The match that was on there was suspended due to bad light because local time it is coming up to 10 minutes to 10 in the evening. They've watered the court. The net is still up. The seats are empty. The flags above the court are fluttering in the wind. There's a little bit of sunlight in the background. The sky is a pinky grey colour and it is very, very quiet in Roland Garros. My name is Gigi Sam and I'm very happy to say, well, it's not going to be quiet for much longer because I'm joined on the podcast <laughs> this week by two members and two familiar voices. It's ATP Tennis Radio commentators Matt Brown and Peter Mercato. Peter, firstly, welcome. Hello, Gigi. I'm just going to whisper <laughs> That's now. That's just so just not like you, it? I know, it's I know. It's just so not like Can you. I, it is great to be here. And it's just, it's really interesting to be inside a stadium when there's only a handful of people around just looking after a few bits and pieces. When you think about the past week we've had where there's been 15,000 people in this stadium and such a huge atmosphere and a huge buzz and there's just a sense of calm about it all really isn't there? It's quite nice it feels right Matt for a Sunday evening to be nice and calm. Yes it does after what has been an incredible week of tennis uh, this first week I think uh, the scene is set for what should be a, a fabulous second week now too. Today it was happy birthday, happy 32nd birthday to Rafa Nadal. It's amazing, isn't it, that his favourite tournament and he will celebrate his birthday every year that he is here. And I was lucky enough to have a slice of the actual birthday cake that he was presented with here at Roland Garros. It was a nice chocolate, I'd say there was four or five layers of a chocolate cake, nice sort of glossy sheen on the top. And um, it tasted very nice. Peter had a go at me for not saving him any, Matt, but... I mean, it was... And so he should have. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Matt. It was, yeah, it's solidarity bit. It was impossible. But, but as I, I, I said, as I said to Peter, they brought it onto the set of the TV show we do every evening live at RG. And it was one of those things, as we were saying goodbye on the show, Peter, people were just walking towards the cake. And it was each to his own. If you didn't eat it, someone else would have done. Oh, exactly. Um, I wonder if Rafa had a piece. 
He did have a little bite. Yeah, yep. he had a little bit of bite. There was champagne. I don't think he touched that. But very happy birthday to Raf Nadal. And Matt, he'll be very happy with how the first week's gone. Oh, he will be. Uh, he has looked uh, sublime uh, in the first week. Uh, I've been so impressed from word go from his very first match. Uh, he hasn't dropped a set. He was pushed in one set where he uh, had some set points against him uh, early on. But uh, the last match against Gasquet, I know he had won 15 in a row. Uh, but again, uh, Gasquet had been playing well. And, and with the French crowd behind him, there was at least some hope that he might be competitive. But he wasn't. Nadal toyed with him. And uh, he is set up now for the round of 16 against Martira, the German, uh, who will be in new territory, centre court in a round of 16 match, but you know, you've got to say Rafa all the way. For me, the interesting thing has been, uh, I mean, we, the last year he just dominated from start to finish. This year he hasn't dominated as much, and it, it's weird to say that for someone who hasn't dropped a set on his way through to this stage but it has been a bit more of a, a struggle at times against some opponents and I think heading into the second week Gigi it's going to be as important I think he might lose a set along the way I, th- I still think he's going to win the title and not have too many problems Matt, you, don't, you don't agree with I, I, I completely disagree I've been so impressed with Rafa yes he's been he, he's had some he's had some hard points he's won all the big points and uh, and to me he hasn't looked like uh, being you know seriously threatened by any of the opponents so far and the draw is good to him, sure. Uh, he won't face a seeded player in the round of 16, but no, I've been I've been super impressed with Rafa, so there we are. The Aussie and the Kiwi can disagree no, no, on this one. No, I, I take your point, absolutely. And, and I'm saying, this is how highly I'm rating him on this surface, and I compare it to last year where he was like 1, 2 and 3 and all that sort of stuff. A little slow to start in his opening round match, and that's why I say, don't be surprised coming up this week, in, in the second week, if he drops a set. He's still going to dominate. He's still going to do all that. He's still going to do that, but it just may not be as easy as what we saw last year. That's all I'm trying to say here. In terms of, I can't see him losing a set before the final. Uh, looking at who, who's in front of him, and and then it's a case of who's the fittest, who's the who's the survival of the fittest between Team or Zverev, Djokovic, uh, the leading contenders to probably be in the final. The thing that wouldn't surprise me is if Delpo did because they're in the same half of the draw, and, and Delpo's got the ability to really turn it on. OK, he's playing a hard-court game on a clay court, but it's working for him at the moment. Uh, and I'm, all I'm saying is just this whole thing of, oh, it's going to be a massive if he drops a set. No, he's still going to get through to the final. He's still going to win the tournament. It just might be not the same as what it was last year. Yeah, I think even John Isner might have a better chance than uh, than uh, Delpo. I mean, well, John Isner to beat Delpo, perhaps. And if he faces Rafa um, with his serve, if he can get through to tiebreakers, then he's got a chance of perhaps winning a set. Can you referee this, please? No, I was just going to go and have some dinner because it's it's, <laughs> it's nearly ten o'clock on Sunday night. I haven't spoken now for four minutes, which is really nice. I'm in, I'm enjoying listening to you. But the funny thing is, just to paint the picture, is I have a microphone and I'm facing both Matt and Peter. They are sharing a microphone, and when one is talking. The other one is trying to sort of grab invisibly the microphone or they lean so close to the other one that they can just get their point of view across. But uh, but it's interesting to hear the differing views on, on Rafa Nadal. I'd probably lean a little bit towards Matt that I think it's been very straightforward. And when this draw came out, it looked straightforward. No disrespect to anyone in the top half of the draw, including Juan Martín del Potro, who, yes, can play on the service. He's been a semi-finalist here in years gone by. But can they really get close to Rafa Nadal? I come back to it again. They Maybe they could get a break. Maybe someone might get a set. But are they going to go the distance over five? No. 
No, and that's not what I'm saying either. I'm not saying he's going to go five. I'm just saying don't he's be... He's not looking as good as last year as what you're saying. I'm saying he's not necessarily three, two and one dominating as he did last year. He's still dominating, but it might be with a loss of a set along the way, but he's still then going to crush opponents. And admittedly, too, to take Matt's point, he has built through the tournament nicely. He's got a, a 16-0 head-to-head record over uh, Richard Gasquet now. He played Payer in the, the, the second round and crushed him as well. I think Martyr might put up a little bit more resistance, but like a 6-4 sort of resistance in a set or maybe a tiebreaker resistance in a set. It also depends on the conditions too because I think we're going to get some wet weather coming up over the the next uh, couple of days with thunderstorms, so conditions might be heavier, which doesn't necessarily suit Rafa, but doesn't matter really. Put him on this court and he'll play in anything. We should say the weather forecast for next week, Matt. I mean, when you look at weather apps, I'm not sure how much we should rely on weather apps, but every day now through to the final, there's that little bolt of light. Yeah, thunderstorms, which we had in the first week, two or three nights where it, where it did calm down heavily, uh, but still plenty of plan. The good news is we are through to the round of 16 in, in one half of the draw in, in the quarterfinal, so not too many matches to get through over seven days. I'm sure we'll complete the tournament, but yeah, it might be a bit frustrating at times for the fans. I'm trying to find some hope for some of the other players in this draw, Gigi. The start in the top of the half tour. of the draw and the whole draw? Well, uh, the whole draw, because <laughs> someone who's trying to come up against Rafael Nadal, I'm trying to give them some sort of hope Have here because it's any? been so one-sided. We talked at the start of the tournament on Radio Roland Garros, and we all went round the table and everyone said, Rafa, 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 it's going to be really easy. But, but you've but given them hope because you said he's not crushing them like he was last year and that in itself gives the player hope. It does. Not much because they're still going to lose in three or four sets but they might get a tie break. Well, Take that as a win. Let me move this on to the bottom half of the draw and to Sasha Zverev, the second seed world number three. It never made it through to the second week of a Grand Slam until now he has achieved that. He said pre-tournament this was going to be the slam for him. He pushed him very very close in the Rome final. If it hadn't rained what could have been for Sasha Zverev. What have you made, Peter, of what you've seen of Zverev so far? And how far do you think he can go? And how far will the body take him? I don't, I think, don't think there's any problems with the body. But five set, five set, five set. Yeah. And normally when we're talking about Sasha at, at a slam, it's five set loss, five set loss along the way. Uh, the fact that he's actually been able to get through the problems that he's had in matches against quality opponents too, by the way, on on this surface is showing that his mental resolve is there. I, I mean, I take the point, you know, he's had some long matches in terms of these five set back to back to back. But, you know, this could set him up for a really nice second week that he has had that struggle, he has been able to get through it and he will have that belief that whatever position he's in, he should be able to get through it. I think even if he doesn't make it through to the final or win the title, whatever that he should still think that he's had a big breakthrough here because this has been the question mark at the slams. Well, he's beaten top 50 players in slams now, first time in a Grand Slam quarterfinal, but I think he peaked in Rome in terms of his clay court play after winning in uh, Munich and then the Madrid Masters uh, and getting to the final against Rafa. The way he's played, he's down a level over this last week and playing best of five sets and his serving has been nothing like it was when he won Madrid for example so so I think Dominic Team is a strong favourite um, for that quarter final I'd be backing Team on in, in conditions which are different to what they faced in Madrid
When he's actually needed it, though, the serves, they've come at the right times. He saved a match point against Demir Jumer, and, and to be able to do that and then run away with it was, was really good to watch from, from my perspective. Uh, you know, he was, he was pushed all the way. He gets the job done 7-5 in the fifth set, and he takes some enormous confidence to that. Taking apart Karen Hushinov, uh, who's one of those next-gen players. And uh, let's be honest, let's hope those two have a fierce rivalry over the next uh, five to ten years because I think we're going to see some really high-quality matches and that will bring the fans through. Uh, the, the way he was able to, to do that today, yeah, OK. He, he again had the ups and downs in the match, but again he was able to get through and he ran away with that final set. And that, that to me, gives me the, a bit more of the confidence that he'll be able to push through in next week too. Okay, so it's pretty clear here that I'm thinking team and uh, and Pete's oh, thinking. No, no. Oh no, you, no, because this oh, is the because this you, is the match. It's a quarter you, final. You it's are, in a couple of days' time. You you asked me about <laughs> Sasha. Your question, Gigi, was about <laughs> Sasha's very. You okay, didn't ask me about Dominic let's, team. Let's bring in Dominic team to okay. the conversation. And what a victory against Kane Shikori. I mean, he crushed the first two sets in Andra. Now he did drop that third and almost gave up that break at the end of the third set to Kane Shikori, but then was able to come through for a very good win for the Austrian. Very very good. Win. And, and there's not a lot here that, that I'm looking at going, hmm, okay. I, I predicted at the start that he'd get through to the final, and I haven't changed Dominic that. team? Yep, and I haven't oh, changed So you're that on the same side here. Particular perspective. I know, we can agree on something. This is good. Uh, the, the, the fact is, he, he comes in in great form. Yes, he's played a hell of a lot of matches, but that served him well. And I think, too, yeah, okay, he's been pushed a little bit at times and against Kani Shikori, who, by the way, should think that you know this should be a tick this tournament for him the fact that the body's held up on clay and he's been able to get through to the cusp of the second week is a good starting point for him to just keep building up again but for team there's there's not a lot wrong at the moment I mean the only question mark is when he comes up against the Sasha Zverev's of the world and potentially Novak Djokovic of the world too and that'll be a big test but I think he can get through I think he's ready I think team is just so much more at home now on this court uh, behind us here. Uh, he's played in a couple of semi-finals here now, and the way he played those first two sets against Nishikori was just uh, absolutely magnificent. He's in a good space right now on these courts and, and on this court here in Paris, and I, I really do think he can get through to the final. Start of the week last week, I actually had Zverev uh, in my pick to go all the way, but I'm not as impressed with the way he's played out here as I have been with Dominic Team. So, so yeah, I'm going for Team in what will be a, a, you know potentially an epic uh, quarterfinal against uh, Sasha Zverev. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, the voice there of Matt Brown. Before that, Peter Mercato, myself, Shishi Salmon, and behind me and in front of the guys is Court Philippe Chatre. It's empty. It's night time now. It's just gone 10 o'clock in the evening on Sunday, and we're looking back over the last eight days. A nice light-hearted moment for Sasha Zverev was in his press conference as a, a reporter, a gentleman from Yorkshire and he's been asking the question quite a thick Yorkshire accent and Sasha Zverev firstly doesn't understand the accent secondly finds it very amusing and thirdly he absolutely adores this gentleman who basically he said if there's a tournament in Yorkshire I'm coming to play it because I love your accent and then the gentleman said if you get through to the final can I ask you some questions and Zverev was saying of course you can so we're seeing a different side to Sasha Zverev because he's normally quite serious and he can be quite short in press conferences it's quite nice to see the smiling and laughter. It is, and and he just picked it up and and ran with it. I think he's also a bit more animated with the crowd as well. He's getting a bit more into that and and bringing the crowd with him too. Particularly when it went deep into his match with Karen Hashinov too. That that he uh, he was taking him with him and and he was enjoying being out there. And I think that to me shows we we get the sense of the personality. It's always been there. I think we, it hasn't necessarily come out 
um, sort of, you know, the big stage, big arena, that sort of thing. But, yeah, it's been there. He's a fun guy. He can be a fun guy in amongst all the seriousness, Matt. One thing I'd say about him too, he you've got to remember he's just 21 and you know, he is younger, quite a bit younger than what Roger Federer was when he won his first major at Wimbledon back in 2003. So, you know, and Federer at the time, uh, you know, personality-wise, um, you know, he was still developing and uh, he had a bit of a temper at times, uh, Roger Federer in his younger days. I think um, Sasha will mature into, uh, you know, a world number one in the future without a doubt. If you hear a noise in the background, they're actually pulling the covers over to Philippe Chatrier to cover the clay, which doesn't bode well. We mentioned there is rain in the forecast, Peter. Well, they, they uh, have watered the court. They give the court a thorough watering too just to settle the, the top surface and then they've got all night for that to dry out and the sun will be out tomorrow anyway so it's just uh, very sensible the maintenance team here do an amazing job with all the courts to get them up and ready and it's a fascinating process yeah they do and they just want to protect against these thunderstorms that are in the area Novak Djokovic another player in the bottom half of the draw what are our thoughts Matt starting with you on on the 2016 champion yeah I've been quite impressed to be honest with Djokovic, uh, as he's got into the tournament, not at the level that he was when he dominated the game over two to three seasons. Uh, but he is getting better and better with each match that he plays, and that's the key. Uh, we saw the improvements in Rome uh, against uh, Nadal, and, and he ta- he'll take a lot of confidence coming into this tournament. The reality is he's been moving through. I thought against Bautista Agut, it was a quality match out on court Susan Longland. He went down a break in that third set after Bautista had won a, a tiebreak, but he came back in that tiebreaker and then won easily, and then... He really stepped it up since then. And, and against Fernando Vadasco, well, uh, he was toying with him at times. There was the old Novak Djokovic, the wonderful off-forehand winners from times. His backhand was working well. Uh, it was great to see. And, you know, he's at the business end, a 12th Grand Slam quarterfinal at, at Roland Garros. Oh, we're going to keep agreeing, are we? This is going to be boring all of a sudden, isn't it? Uh, yeah, oh, and, and that Bautista good match it was the one that, that showed me, particularly when he was able to turn it's it nice around. It's you both agree for a change. <laughs> we, Apparently we, you're going out for dinner after this. Are you going to agree on where you're going to eat? I'm just waiting for the excuse Gigi's going to have for not coming. Uh, anyway, Might be so the fact that everything's closed. Turning, turning that around when he did lose that tiebreak and he broke the rack and everything like that, from there he was so cool and so calm in terms of executing the game plan. And it was the same his match with Fernando Vadasco as well and I think he's turned that corner he may not be as as sharp as number one just yet but I think those the margin the gap between that and being where he was is narrowing by the match and he's certainly going to be a force to be reckoned with. And the here. other thing you have to throw in there is that Novak Djokovic knows what it's like to win a Grand Slam. He knows what it's like to win many. He yes. knows what it's like to win here. And that, as you go deeper into tournament, can come into it. Gunter Bresnik in the past has said about Dominic Team that emotionally he's not strong enough. He's roaring a lot more. He's yelling a lot more. Is this a new side to Dominic Team? Sasha Zverev is in uncharted territory. He's in the second week of a Grand Slam for the first time. You throw out more and more and more names. And there's very few people who know what it's like at the business end of a Grand Slam and then to go on and lift the trophy. And the other thing too is I think there's a lot more confidence. He feels confident in his body as well. And I think, you know, part of the comeback process has been making sure when he goes out there that everything is okay. He's not thinking about it whatsoever. Even if there's a slightening or anything like that, he's now at the capability where he doesn't have, that's out of his mind. And he's just worried about 
executing his game plans and he's been able to do it. And yeah, there's been times where he's struggled in his matches, but you know, he's he's being tested along the way and he's getting the job done and he's doing what he has to do and he's going to build up to week two. And as you say, that experience would probably... It's a bit hard to quantify what that experience will mean, but it does mean something in his favour. Philippe Chetre is being put to bed behind us. When we started the podcast, there's a little bit of light now. Darkness has fallen. They're going around the seats and they're making sure all the rubbish has cleared away because there's a full day's tennis tomorrow starting Monday morning at 11am local time. But going into the second week, we're not talking in the men's draw about the French players and the home hopes. We're starting to talk about the Italians. And before we speak about the Italians, let's hear from Italy's Davis Cup captain, Corrado Berasuti. But first, Marco Cecchinato, who is through to his first Grand Slam quarterfinal. Yeah, now I'm confident, you say good, because now I practice very well and I'm very focused every every match and also on the practice I'm very, very focused and now I stay always focused in every point and so I think is this is very, very important for me. Now, what's the difference? What's been the difference? Yeah, from last year, very, very different because after the first set, maybe uh, always I lost the match and now I, I start better. Also, if I lost the first set 6-2, 6-1 or 6-3, it doesn't matter. Now I, I, I start uh, play better after the first set down or set and break, it doesn't matter. And I tell you, I'm very focused on my game and my, my points. For the first maybe we have a um, um, sign that the young player is coming, is coming up you know we have a, a very good player young player Berrettini has played very well and uh, Sonego too Cecchinato has played very well uh, and uh, that is very good for the for the for the moment Italian moment behind uh, the Fabio Fognini and uh, Seppi it's very important for the Italian tennis yeah it's been wonderful to see Fabio playing so well. Yeah, yeah, everybody are very, very happy to see Fognini, Fabio play so well. And it's very, and we are happy for us too, for me too, that uh, I'm the, 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 the Davis Cup captain. That is, uh, is uh, great. He makes the game look so easy, doesn't he, Fabio? Yeah. I mean, he's so talented. Uh, look, look, look as when, when you see Fabio to play, Look like the, the tennis is very simple, huh? but uh, it's because of Fabio. For Fabio, it's very easy to play when when he's in confidence. Because sometimes when you see uh, uh, Fabio play bad, it's really another 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 imagine another thing. But uh, fortunately here, uh, so we can see Fabio play well. And that's uh, is a is a great tennis. Really, it's great tennis. Matt, the, the Italians are rising. We just heard at the end there, Corrado Berizzuti speaking about Fabio Fanini. So let's pick up with the, the elder statesman of the Italians. He is so jam-packed full of talent, Fabio Fanini. It's about on his day, he can beat anyone. He's still going into the second week. He's one of those players that, like a bit like Gael Monfils, he's must-watch. He's a player that when you see him on the, uh, on the schedule, you want to be on that court because you don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get flamboyance. You're going to get absolute brilliance. You're going to get stupidity all on the same match. And uh, that's, that, that's what I love about him. He is that... Ca- 
charismatic character. Uh, he's fiery. There's so many adjectives to describe him. Um, but he, the, the, the most important thing here is that he is playing some really consistent, some good clay court tennis. He, 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 he battled past Kyle Edmund in five sets. But right through the clay court seasons, he's got some pretty consistent results, played pretty well in Rome, and on his day, he is a match for just about anybody out there. So, uh, you know, it's great to see uh, him at the business end of this tournament. The bolt. I'm calling the bolt. Because of the lightning flashes on his yeah, kit. I mean, he had a star on his hip and a lightning bolt during the Masters, but he just seems to have gone for lightning here in Paris. The flash. Uh, he's doing a great job. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll just keep making them up as I go along. Uh, when he's dialed in, when he's dialed in and he's really into a match, uh, it's just, as, as Matt said, it's just fascinating to, to watch him go about it because he wheels onto that big, massive forehand and he just... He can stop the best in the world, but it's his ability to be able to do it consistently. And particularly over the best of five sets, it tends to be a little bit of a roller coaster where there are times in matches where he sort of sits back a little bit and he might let a game or two go by or he let his opponent win serve easily and that sort of thing, but then he'll key back in again. And you can normally tell because of the expression and the fire and the passion and the early on. The body language. Yes. And it, it tell, I mean, he's got the massive strut. I mean, boy, oh boy, does he. <laughs> like to just strut oh my goodness and when he's got that going and he's dialed into the match um he is very very hard to stop and it's box office he's exciting it's an exciting player when he can get it all going yeah he, he's exciting he's fun to watch and he's fab fab matt brown when he's on it he is indeed, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I just think uh, he has a reasonable opportunity of, uh, of going a little bit further too in this tournament. I can't see him going all the way, but uh, certainly, in other words, to get through to um, maybe a semi-final, but uh, I think uh, he could certainly be out there for a few more days yet. Marco Cecchinato into his first Grand Slam quarterfinal. I know against David Goff and Goffin was hampered. He had the, the trainer. It looked like to a shoulder problem and he really, really tried. But you do not take anything away from the Italian who still had to get the job done. This is the story of the week, along with uh, Trigoletti, the, uh, the Argentine, who he beat in the second round, the guy who made the 11-hour trip from, uh, from Barcelona to play in the first round. In the first round, this Italian was two sets to love down against Marius Coppola of Romania. He won 10-8, I think it was, in the fifth set. Uh, that's in the first round. And here he suddenly finds himself in a Grand Slam quarterfinal against Novak Djokovic. It's great to have the big names. In other words, team Djokovic is very there. But it's always good to have someone come through who we didn't know too much about. And this guy with that beautiful single-handed backhand is just a fabulous player to watch and is so deserving of his place in the quarters. A dark house or horse, if you will. I say horse. <laughs> a dark no, horse. I sent an email out. This is what Peter, I think, is referring to for Radio Roland Garros, oh, asking for people's picks and dark horse. It came out as dark house, and it's amused the team for eight days now. <laughs> they are still finding it funny, as I can see from Peter, who can't talk quite yet. So yes, dark horse in my. Tell us a little bit more, Peter, about Marco Cecchinato. Well, he has one title to his name. He won at Budapest earlier this year. Uh, he idolises Marat Safin, which, uh, when in terms of a player to idolise, talk about box office when Marin was uh, up and going, from Palermo in Sicily, and uh, supports AC Milan. Oh, 
And while we're at it, discovering new players, Maximilian Marter, what should we know about the German who's making his debut at the tournament this year? Well, that's the thing. He, he's also a big football fan, so he supports TSG 1899, Hoffenheim, the football team. And he also is very comfortable here in Paris, Gigi, because not only does he speak German, he's very handy with English, but also speaks French. So no problems at all there. So he's enjoying his time in Paris and he's going to enjoy the occasion, Matt, when he steps out <laughs> to face Rafa Nadal. I mean, it's the classic cliche, nothing to lose. And he doesn't have anything to lose because he's going to make a big jump in the rankings by going this far. But he was very impressive against Denis Shapovalov. Um, and and, and he, he returned with Venom. Everything Shapovalov threw at him, I saw quite a bit of that match. And he's very comfortable uh, of both wings, forehand, backhand. Uh, he was relaxed out on court. Uh, yeah, I was really impressed. Ruff is going to be a big step too far, but let's just hope he can play his best tennis and really you know make a really good match of it out here on uh, Chartres because, uh, you know, he is definitely a young player, just 22 years of age, who I think has another big future. I would love your match of the first week and why. If there's one that stood out and you thought, actually, that was a crack and you found yourself telling people about it. Matt's nodding. He's ready. It was Dava Gofan up against Gael Monfils. And it went over two days, <laughs> which, looking, which was oh. a shame that we had to go into a second day because it lost its momentum and then picked up again. And it picked up big time. Four match points Goffin saved against Monfils, who was just out of it. Uh, and it, it, was, it was incredible. Uh, and the atmosphere on Susan Longland was something to behold. Uh, but I'm sure uh, Pete can come up with another match uh, oh, to talk there's about. Been, there's been, maybe there's been enough of them, Peter. I know there has, but that was my favourite too because I was calling that one. It was very, very exciting, I thought, anyway. Uh, Can I throw in mine, which would be Fabio Fanini against Kyle Edmund. I thought it was an exciting clash. I thought the crowd got into it. Fabio Fanini was at his rip-roaring best. Kyle Edmund doesn't show that much emotion, but it went to five sets. You thought that Kyle Edmund would have it, but Fabio Fanini was able to use his box of tricks, turn it around again in this fantastic atmosphere and come for. It's a shame for Kyle Edmund who lost in a fifth set to Kevin Anderson last year, I think by the same scoreline, 6-4. So tough for Kyle Edmund who now moves to the grass court season, but uh, good win as we've talked about Fabio Fanini, but that was, I think for me, the match. Probably Juma Zverev, Sasha Zverev, where Juma had the, the match point. Zverev was able to save it and turn it around and then win the match 7-5 in the final set if I had to isolate one. Are you having another one? No, I was just going to say there have been some amazing matches out on that new court 18 and, and you were fortunate enough to call uh, the match... It, was straight sets. It was Isner against Ugu Bear, but they all sang. The French crowd was so into it. They sang La Marseillaise at one stage. Um, just tremendous atmosphere. It's really creating a real good vibe in that new court here in Paris. Yeah, it's, it, it's a sunken court. It's the opposite side to Susan Longland for people who know Roland Garros. It's undergoing so many changes this year. It's it's amazing to see. And people have already labelled it the people's court. You sit, you stand, you don't need a ticket. And the noise around it. I believe, weren't you leaving the ground when that match was taking place? And you could hear that noise come over from the stands. You could hear the noise about half a kilometre away. It was it was remarkable. Um, the crowd was so into it. It was probably a bit like a maybe a Davis Cup tie for the for the French, but they uh, they certainly get in behind their players and, and it's fantastic. I do want to give a quick honourable mention to Marco Trinjoletti, the Argentinian you touched on. It was a lucky loser spot that needed to be filled. There were eight lucky losers, a record in the Grand Slams since the new rulers come in that if you withdraw before your match with injury you get half the prize money. Lucky loser gets the other half. But they'd almost Peter run 
out of lucky losers and he had to make it from Barcelona where he trained and his grandma and mum were visiting on holiday back to Paris for a 10.30 sign in the next morning. And he did. He got here. He drove all night. Gosh, that song's in my head again uh, to get here. And he, he had the win. He was just had the adrenaline. He didn't really think of it. And, and also Mohamed Safwat, who found out about half an hour before he was due to go out <laughs> to play Grigor Dimitrov in the opening match on Philippe Chatrier a week ago. He had no time to think about it either. And the poor fellow who was going to be the next lucky loser in, who went off to, to play a challenger in Italy, ended up losing in the first round, unfortunately. And then we have Tanasi Kokonakis, who didn't sign the sheet to be lucky loser, but he'd decided to stay and train in Paris. And he actually rang one of the supervisors here saying, would I have gotten in? And they went, yep. And he said something that can't be repeated on radio. But it's interesting how that's set up, because I think lucky loser was the second most popular nation if it was a nation on its own behind uh, France. <laughs> but uh, look, it, it does show that that rule is working. And so it does give them a bit more of an opportunity. And I, I think it's a great thing. Now, we have to talk, as we've got Peter here, at the start of the year in Australia, we put together a time capsule. Everybody who works on ATP Tennis Radio wrote down their predictions from a list of questions that were laid out. Peter and I... Do you want to speak, Peter? No, no, carry on. He's he's sort of mouthing things at Matt. We we wrote down... I did it too. Uh, And sent it in. Yes. Yes, No, it was put in the box. It was put in the box. We went through a few of the examples. Just explain to the listeners who might think, what are they talking about, time capsule? Then what we did, we folded them up. I mean, Peter McCarter gave us the smallest ever time capsule. (laughs) I mean, it was the smallest box he bought. But we somehow rammed them in. You locked it, gave me the key. You had the box. So... Can you remember where the box is? Because everyone's starting to forget exactly what they predicted. Yes, I know where the box is. Have and, you buried and there it? Were, there were two keys, and I swallowed one of them. Just for safekeeping, Matt, it's on my person. It's probably not still on your person. Well, probably not. In the Actually, I didn't think about that. Damn, um, I, I, have, I hope you have the key. Well, I was just... I, th- I think I have... I definitely have the other key. But can anyone... Who, did everyone I said go Nadal. for Nadal to I win the French I said Nadal Open? for French. Yeah, I said Nadal for the French. I remember I had Nick Kyrgios for one of them. I can't remember. I'm hoping it's maybe the US Open because he's been out injured and hasn't been playing. But, uh, yeah, I can't remember too many of them, though. I had Novak Djokovic Wimbledon, and I thought a few weeks ago that was bad and it would probably take till about the US Open. But now he's coming into a little bit of form on the clay... Possibly that's something that could happen. Good memory, though, because you and I hand wrote ours and we put them in the box on and when we were doing a podcast. And we're going to be opening the box at, at the, the tour O2. finals. You're coming over yes. for those. Can you remember the box, though? Yes, you'll Does, remind me. Will I? So I've got hard, to remind hard, you to remember the box. The hardworking <laughs> producer will also remind me, I'm sure. I'm sure he will. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you both, Matt Brown and Peter McCarthy, on the podcast. You are now going for dinner together. Have you decided? With you. With you. Lovely. Um, <laughs> have you decided? Have you decided where we're going? Whatever's open. Whatever's open. But thank you very much for joining me. We've had a great first eight days. The weather has been pretty kind, and we're keeping our fingers crossed for the the final run. And we'll be back with you for another podcast from here in Paris, rounding up the entire tournament. If you'd like to leave a review from us, if you enjoy what you listen to, maybe Peter, you can go and leave a nice review. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast from. Don't forget, you can listen to live coverage courtesy of Radio Roland Garros. We are rebroadcasting Radio Roland Garros via ATP Tennis Radio, so you can have ball-by-ball commentary of all the matches that are being played. We're getting to the business end of the competition. It's really, really exciting. Thank you so much for your company keep listening keep enjoying and we'll be back with you in a week's time bye for now